0: Welcome to Notes from Musicians' Kitchens. I'm Jennifer Johnston, and during this series, I'll be talking to prominent music professionals about the relationship between food and music and everything in between. Notes from Musicians' Kitchens is a subscription only online cookbook and mixology resource written by musicians from all over the world, sharing their food traditions and tastes to raise money for Help Musicians UK a charity financially assisting musicians adversely affected by the music industry shutdown during the COVID-19 pandemic. Food is not just a universal need, but also a universal link to our homes and communities and a universal pleasure, just like music. We rely on food in the same way that we rely on music during extraordinary times like these, to bring structure and a feeling of normality to our days. To alleviate boredom and frustration, to entertain, to strengthen the feeling of community, and to bring comfort, joy, and solace. Notes from Musicians' Kitchens is a means of digitally breaking bread with each other, of sharing and appreciating our diverse food cultures, and of creating new memories. Please subscribe at www.notesfrommusicianskitchens.com. It's a one-off payment of only £10, every penny of which is a donation to Help Musicians UK. And you can also follow our progress on our dedicated Facebook and Instagram pages. I'm delighted that my guest this week is the distinguished British-Israeli-French composer Nimrod Borenstein, who talks to me about cooking, strawberry risotto, the processes behind composing, staying true to yourself as an artist remaining resolutely non-conformist, and finding the magic in all that you do. Now to introduce my guest. Born in Tel Aviv and raised in Paris, composer Nimrod Borenstein came to live in England at the age of 18. The child of an artist father, he began composing at the precocious age of six and is now ranked amongst the world's greatest living composers. His substantial catalogue currently numbers over 80 works, including orchestral and chamber music, as well as vocal and solo instrumental pieces. His works have been championed by Vladimir Ashkenazi and have been heard all over the world, including his beloved Shella Adagio, which has been performed more than 30 times by 16 different orchestras. His ballet score, Suspended, has received more than 150 performances from the Edinburgh International Festival to the Taipei Arts Festival since its premiere in January 2015 at the Royal Opera House Covent Garden. I'm delighted that he now joins me, Welcome to Notes from Musicians' Kitchens. Hello Nimrod, it's really lovely to meet you. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? How has lockdown been for you? Uh, Well, I'm not supposed to say great, it's been formidable.
1: (laughs) I don't think that anyone in this right mind will say that. But considering, I think that uh, I'm lucky. I've not lost anyone. I've been healthy, so I really can't complain. Six months ago, I lost my mum, she died in October. And that's been tough because I... I've not been able to see my dad since February. After my mother's death, I was seeing my dad all the time to try to make things better. But uh, as I said, there are really worst cases, scenarios, and, uh, and I've got a lot of work because for composers, it's not like performers. Sort of, a lot of the commissions are years in advance. Uh, so I, I had sort of uh, about 45 concert concerts concert between March and July. But uh, I hope that it's more like, um, like postponed it's not an easy situation for anyone, but I, uh, I think I'm rather lucky. It could be a lot worse.
0: It's nice to hear somebody being positive, I have to say. In terms of how life has been during lockdown, composers tend to live quite a solitary existence in work <laughs> terms. Have you found that you've done a lot more work than you would normally, or has it affected you in the psychological sense of knowing that you have to be at home and have to sort of get on with your own things?
1: I wouldn't like, I don't like the word, uh, word workaholic because it's sort of somehow implied that it's natural. <laughs> I'm disciplined, <laughs> let's say. And I, I work a lot. I usually work about, if you, could, if you take everything together, I probably work 14, 15 hours every day, seven days a week, usually. Uh, and, uh, and I learned that from my dad, uh, who's an artist. And he always said that uh, you can, can create great things if you are not dedicated. And uh, and it's part of the, but it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a philosophical question of uh, the free will. My daughter that's 16, she wants to, uh, to read philosophy at university. And it's a sort of how much free, do we decide that we have passion? Do we decide that we want to work uh, or not? How much is uh, from the, I started music when I was three uh, years old, and I always knew that I wanted to be a musician. And I started to compose when I was I think six, it's been always the only thing that I really wanted to do. And I was I loved math. I was good in mathematics and I, uh, uh, and I was a good pupil at school. But it's, it's, uh, for me, music was uh, the only thing I would have died for it. I still do feel it like that. But it's, uh, in a way, it's, uh, if you don't think that uh, you will do anything for it, then the audience doesn't get that
0: buzz because you don't have it for yourself. And I think as a composer, you really, as an audience member, feel your personality through your music and your commitment. And I think we read that, so um, it's no great surprise that you spend as long as you do every day working. Have you found that during lockdown, your life has changed because your family are at home more? Has it been disruptive?
1: No, I I wouldn't say, no. I think that there are just just so many ways that you can uh, give yourself excuses. (laughs) for not doing the thing that you need to do. I, I don't like to do that. So, I mean, it's not simple. And, uh, and it's been, uh, my daughter, she's been doing the school uh, from home. Uh, and it's not simple. And she, she's, uh, my youngest daughter, she's in year four. So she's nine year old. And it's almost like university. It's in front of the computer. It's, uh, it's she's, uh, she's been really good about it, but it's not, uh, I mean, you can see as an adult, uh, how difficult it is and it's not easier for a child, cannot be easy. You try to do the, the best. I think that in a way we were very, very lucky to have this incredible weather for two months, because now that it's starting to rain and it's more difficult to go out, if it had been like that for three months, and you it, that would have been worse. Because even going out for a few minutes, uh, and knowing that uh, you couldn't be close to people, uh, but at least It was not completely, well, it was like a prison when you're allowed to go out for your little uh, jogging, but it was easier than uh, it would have been if you trained all the time. So we were like in that way. We were, you know, you, you start to watch after about a month of this, you know, we were watching movies with my wife and in the movie you see someone going to the restaurant and say, oh my God! <laughs> like it was something like a superhero movie you just going to the restaurant and there are people around. It's, it's, uh, it looks incredible. And you get used to the new norm in some way so quickly like sort of the past has not existed and it's... Uh, it's something very peculiar, It's, uh, I mean, in, in my lifetime, I've never encountered something like that, that you couldn't, uh, uh, sometimes you don't travel abroad. When I was young, it could happen that you don't travel abroad for six months, but that you can't travel abroad. And not because of money, but because you can't. It's like a state of world war in some way that, I mean, even if it's not that dramatic, but it's uh, it really is, is a strange thing. I was brought up in France, I was born in Israel, uh, and I've been in, uh, in London for now over 30 years, and that's my home here, but I've got family abroad, same for my wife. My wife is from, uh, she's from Italy. Uh, so this fact of being completely locked, locked in the country, in the town, and knowing that if something happened, you couldn't go. I mean, I know that it's the same so if you if you live here in London and you have some family in Manchester, but it's not quite the same. It's not easy, and I, I can say that, uh, you probably feel that uh, yourself as a musician that music is such an escape. It's uh, sometimes when, uh, when my wife said that it's a, it's a really really difficult job. That she when when, uh, when I was a child, she said, "I hope she's not a musician because it's it's really very tough as a career. It's it's better to do something else to earn a living." And I've never felt that. I think that it's, if you have passion in your life, you have the most precious thing, uh, and you and I don't feel it like that. It's not that. I mean, now I'm. Older, <laughs> and, and sort of life is a bit easier than it was when I was a 20 years old composer. Uh, well, a lot easier. But even then, I always thought anyway that uh, some of my family, sort of uh, quite a big part of my family, disappeared during the World War II. They were sent to the gas chambers or never seen again. I always feel that you cannot complain that it's for small things. Even if naturally, I always try to remember
0: that it, that is not serious. It's a temporary issue. It won't last a lifetime. You know, what happened to your family, which was profound, and actually we should explain, it wasn't just a small part of your family who died in the Holocaust. It was a, most of your maternal family in particular. When you've suffered profound loss in a family the way that yours have, then it does put a sense of perspective onto everything.
1: You find people that have got the same story and don't have that perspective. It's not, You know, it's like when you, you've got a really bad, toothache and you think, oh, I'm going to be so happy when it disappears and I will never forget how it's better life when you don't have a toothache. And then it goes away and after two days you start to complain about the phone bill or something because that's human nature. And in a way, I think that um, it's good, this part of human nature, because without it there wouldn't be creativity and there wouldn't be even sort of um, social progress. It's the fact that we are not happy about things that we think that they should be better that make us do good things. So it might not be pleasant to feel like that, but it's not necessarily negative.
0: While you've been at home with your family, have your family habits changed? Are you managing to eat meals together every day? More
1: more meals together than we used to be. Because uh, I've managed to uh, arrange my... Well, I'm not out uh, Normally, uh, I have a little, I would say a little over 100 concert of my music a year, into which I travel maybe to about 25 or 30. When it's in England, it's really easy, but I mean, most are abroad. So even if I try to to do the, you go and you come back and you, you travel at three in the morning, now that's why I'm not there. Well, it has not happened for a while, <laughs> let's say. So I, I've been more at home on the... It must be said that uh, at the beginning, it was quite difficult. There were some things that were missing. I mean, the fact, I mean, you, I don't know if you, it happened to you, but you couldn't find toilet paper. That was unbelievable. Uh, you couldn't find eggs. You couldn't find flour. Uh, so that was a bit of a shock, but nobody stopped. It was a bit weird. And uh, so at the beginning, it, I, I like cooking. That's probably why I was really uh, tempted to, to take part in your program, because
0: I love cooking. But so
1: finding ingredients at the beginning was easy. Not- oh,
0: I know you love cooking. Do you do all the cooking when you're at home, or does your wife do any of it? I would say I do eighty percent.
1: I like cooking, so even if I'm very tired, uh, I do the cooking. So usually, what happens with if I can eat together with my wife and my daughter, then why shall I not cook? And if I can't uh, eat together because it's going to be too late for my daughter because she needs to, to eat by eight. So then I cook leather for my wife, and we be together at 10. Um, but I'm used to that. Um, and my dad used to come back from his atelier very late in the nice. evening, sometimes when I was older, but uh, stay all day in the atelier. So it's, that's just
0: normal. And your recipe that you've submitted for notes from Musicians' Kitchens is quite extraordinary because it's so unique. It's a strawberry risotto. And when I saw it the first time without reading the ingredients, of course, you assume that it's sweet and it's a dessert, but it isn't. It's, amazing no, no, it's
1: a main. It's 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 and a, it's Italian. savory. Yes, uh, my wife, uh, being Italian, she's, she wouldn't be surprised by that because in Italy you do all sorts of risotto. With, but uh, for me, the first time when she told me, uh, you know, we should do a risotto with pears or with. It uh, started with pears, but uh, and so that's already surprising. And the result the, the result, whether you do it with strawberry or all sorts of other berries. Well, strawberries is more surprising than, than blackberries or blueberries because they are a bit acidic, so you expect that maybe, they, but, um, but you know, stro- strawberry like you, you don't, even if uh, tomato is a fruit, you don't think about it as a fruit, but it's a fruit. So cooking with strawberry or with tomatoes, it's, it's quite similar, actually. It's a, uh, and it's very, um, it's very flavored. It's a, uh, and Those are, uh, I mean, in general, if I compare French food to Italian food, I would say that um, the French food takes longer to cook. In general, the recipes are complex they take a long time to cook, um, but maybe because of that, you got more chances of to uh, to salvage the same. <laughs> it's a, well, sort of, uh, the Italian recipes are a little uh, Paganini Caprice. It's uh, easy to do, but either you can do it or you can't. There is no, not a double take. So, the so risotto is like that. It's it's very quick, and when you when you've done it quite a few times, different risottos, it's easy, and that's uh, and it's healthy actually. Uh, a lot of the risotto pasta, that, uh, the Italian food is very healthy, uh, more than the French. That's why actually I'm cooking mostly Italian at home.
0: Well, that's interesting. So, as an Israeli Frenchman, you cook Italian food. Yes,
1: yes, yeah, yes. Because I mean, uh, it's not fat. There are lots of vegetables. They don't eat um, that much meat. You can eat fish, and it's uh, and it's fresh. But I, but I do a mix. To be honest, sort of you know uh, uh, I would say that maybe sort of uh, lunchtime I would do something that is. Uh, it, I know that you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to have a heavier meal at lunch or at night. But it doesn't work for musicians. We eat every heavy meal at night. Let's face it. So, but uh, at lunch I tend to have a salad, the type of French thing that you would do for. For lunch. And there are other things that you can do for uh, Italian food, are uh, all sorts of variations on uh, The risottos are, are interesting. The so Italians, they sometimes do them as a, as a starter. When I give you the recipe, I give you the, the, the quantity as if it was a main meal. Because sort of, uh, you know, when you cook at home,
0: uh,
1: uh, unless you invite people, you want to spend two hours cooking, it's, it's not practical. In, if after that you want to, to have something, a uh, food salad or something like that, it, it goes quickly. And you can even do it during the time that you do the risotto.
0: In terms of your eating habits at home, though, I find it's quite hard having children sometimes because they don't necessarily want to eat what you do. Do you all enjoy the same kind of food in your family?
1: It's um, funny. My um, youngest daughter, she started by eating everything. She was really funny. She would eat some peculiar, difficult things when she was three. And she's now facing an age where she, she eats less things than maybe a few years ago. She still loves a lot of things. But uh, for example, when I, uh, I cook the strawberry risotto, she doesn't like strawberry risotto. So what do I do? I do two risottos, two pans, uh, and most risottos start the same way. So it's just a little bit more, more work. There's, there are some dishes that uh, make the unanimity, like I do a, a pesto, homemade pesto, and I become really, really good at that. And that, no problem, all my children, all whole life data, on the, but uh, if I ate a, 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 a pesto every week, I would become like a ball very quickly because there's a lot of oil in there. It's healthy, but uh, when you ask about my eating habit, I would say that I'm uh, a yo-yo dieter. Yet, uh, I sort of a quite extreme, uh, like most musicians are, I suppose, that it's either all or nothing. Um, my, my mom that uh, used to be um, a teacher in political science at university, She always said that in politics, you cannot be extreme like Sanchez because, but in art, you need to be. You cannot do compromise. It's not a democracy art. Uh, But I suppose that, unfortunately, for my food habits, it's the same. So that I think that I'd rather do from time to time a really, really harsh diet where I eat almost nothing but being able to eat and enjoy myself for, uncorrected every few months, corrective thing.
0: Do you have particular things that you love to eat, uh, that, you know, if you were having to design your sort of perfect menu, are the things that you would always cook?
1: It's difficult. To, uh, there are lots of things that uh, I, I love to eat, but some of the things that I love to eat, I think that's partly because uh, I don't cook them myself, and, uh, and also it's difficult to, to do because if you're uh, like a, a really good fish soup, it's difficult to do it yourself because you need a lot of different fishes, uh, uh, and it will cost a fortune to do just for one person or for family. So I don't do it at home. And even if you do it, then you do it with just, not in a variety of fish. So when I go to a restaurant, a really good restaurant, or if you, a country where, uh, that, uh, that has a good fish soup, I have that and I love it, but I don't have it often, so that's maybe why. There are certain things that you cannot, uh, that you, maybe you could do at home, uh, like uh, I love Chinese food as well, but it's not my culture and I've not learned it, so I, I, I cook certain things, but not much. And uh, I enjoy going out for that, uh, same for Indian food. It's an uh, amazing cuisine as well, very complex, um, but not, uh, not my tradition, not my culture. You could learn, I mean there's
0: so many interesting things to do in life, you can't, uh, you can't learn it all. No, and also you come from very, in some respects, very multicultural background, because you're born in Israel, you then moved to Paris, that was essentially your childhood home. And now you live in England, which is a, a fairly mixed bag where food is concerned. So in many respects, to Kiko, because you're now married to an Italian, your food horizons are global. Is there anything though that your mum or dad cooked when you were younger that you That's loved?
1: Really, you know, because uh, my mum, my she was not really concerned about food. She cooked quite well, but she didn't like cooking and she thought it was a waste of time. she was rather read a book and she loved literature and she was quite an intellectual woman. So she thought if she could read an interesting book, why spend time cooking. Uh, and, and my dad, he was the generation that his mom didn't put him in the kitchen. So uh, he, he knew how to to make an omelet and that was about it, maybe spaghetti, but it was not that much. So when I was about, 12 or something like that, I started to cook for everybody at home. Uh, Because I knew that if I was not cooking, the meal would never be on time because my mind wouldn't be positive and I love food. So I thought the right solution would be I'll cook. I know where it's coming from. When I was I think 10 years old or something uh, something like that, I had because I I was a violinist and I had lessons with uh, my violin teacher, was uh, I think first violin in the orchestra of the Opera of Paris, and I had a private lesson at his home. Uh, and it was on, I think it was on Saturday uh, around uh, 11 or something like that in the morning. And he was a really nice man. So he said, so every every week after the lesson, his wife, on, uh, he, he would invite me to eat with the children. I was a child. Uh, I would be welcome for the, for the lunch, which is incredible. Now, I studied with him, I think, two years, which means probably about... 100 lunches, I've never had the same thing. His wife was a cordon bleu, it was incredible. It was just incredible. I can still, I mean, there are things, it was just, food was beautiful. And even children generally don't like vegetables. I didn't like vegetables, but there, they were not vegetables, they were just, it was magic. She was a really very good cook. So I think that I got, my mom said that I got the inspiration from that, now I remember. It's after that that I
0: decided that it was, uh, I find your music lives in this sort of tonal universe, which is very distinctly you. It has your voice, doesn't sound like anybody else's, yet it is still tonal. Are you a bit like that in the kitchen? Do you invent recipes? No, I, I wouldn't say that. It, you know, uh, for, for if
1: people go to my music, uh, for me, it was always important to, I learned that from my dad, and to create something that was new. There were two things. First, first of all, I wanted to be like better. so. So quality was important, but apart from that, I uh, created something that was never there before. Well, so I don't know if you, m- you might have read it so- somewhere because I uh, I say that that story. But when I, because it shocked me when I was about eight years old, so I had done about two years of composing. I found I thought that I found this twelve note system because I had never heard about Schoenberg. and I thought that it was logical. And I applied it myself. And about I don't know a month or two months later, I went to to. Um, to see the the director of the conservatoire and said oh yes Sean done that and I was really upset. (laughs) What? (laughs) And and I've never found that for me uh, there is a difference between uh, tonal or eternal music. I don't feel it like that way. The main difference I think in in art in the past 100 years because we've been in, in a situation where we've never been so academic and so static. I mean People say uh, we're moving all the time, things like that, but if you look, if you think between, how long between Bach and Mozart, and then Mozart and Beethoven and Beethoven and Chopin, between Bach and Chopin, there is more than between, I don't know, Varese and Nao. And you go to concert hall, and you hear sort of the sort of academic sort of pseudo avant-garde music, does it sound that much different from the thing that was done one century ago? We, we, we are in, in a standstill in some way, so, but for me, it's more, in the 1920s or 30s, there were these ideas of, uh, maybe because after the First World War, it was such a butchery that people sort of, had doubt about uh, their culture, if the culture was capable of doing that, maybe. Uh, and uh, there was a movement on all sorts of nihilism in art, that uh, and if you don't want to create greatness, you are not going to create it. It's as simple, if you want to create greatness, it's not that you are going necessarily to do it but without wanting to do it it's not going to happen and I think that that's the main thing it's not tonal eternal what's the purpose of creating uh, for me creating and even for the world the world that it is when we talk, talk, talk about creation we think about the Bible uh, God created or something like that and we use the same word on the same concept for music uh, and it has uh, it has a sense that we, we create a, a world, a world that has to make sense and, in my eyes, has to create beauty. Now, uh, sometimes you disagree with my dad on that, because he said that I use the, the, word, beauty not in, uh, the word beauty not in the right sense, because the beauty is not necessarily beautiful, uh, that uh, Francis Bacon, you can't say that he's creating beauty, but I disagree. For me, it's beauty. It's a certain Maybe I'm mixing up perfection with beauty in terms of concepts, I create my type of beauty. That is, uh, that is whole. It, it's uh, It has to be a a piece that uh, you couldn't move one single note. That each note has to be there. But a bit like in a story, that uh, that the character has to make sense, uh, and and there are no rules. I think I've, I've moved a lot through the the years, and you, you know, it's like a like when you look at yourself uh, in the mirror you look at yourself every day and you don't see yourself aging and suddenly you got white hair and <laughs> you <I> say what? <laughs> How? It and sort of, it's the same with composing. There are little things that you add to your palette, but at the same time if you think about uh, any great uh, composers you can recognize them after three notes and even sort of when you know you you talk about better than the three periods or whatever, but I say three periods, look at at the first sonata that he ever wrote, it's all there. It's not that he's not done other things, but than as we know it, he was there in his first sonata, first piano sonata. Uh, And in some way, when I looked at pieces that I wrote when I was in my twenties, some of the pieces were great pieces and I couldn't do better now, but I've uh, evolved on on the, the palette of number of things that I can do it's so much wider, but I, it's like you keep everything that you've got, but you add things. But I don't do that in, in cooking. <laughs> so, to answer your question, in, in cooking, you know, so that it's like you cannot compose if you don't have um, really compose as a sense. You need so much uh, knowledge. Uh, and it's the same in cooking, I'm just an amateur, but uh, but uh, I, I love seeing, I, if I had the, the time on, probably the money on the occasion, I'd love to, to, to take a two weeks course with a really good cook
0: but in seeking greatness you say that every note has to be where it is that you can't remove one in a way that's a bit like the great chef's recipes because it's it's like a form of chemistry and really that's what your composition is like it's a form of chemistry because it you bring together all these different ingredients and it's only when you put them all together in a whole in a particular structure, in a particular way, that it becomes this great work of art, which y- you can see, therefore, the similarity between composing and being a chef.
1: Yeah, and probably, you know, like in, in this book I can't remember the, the name of the author, uh, uh, The Perfume, uh, it's the same, the, the, the cooked, I have known a few uh, professional cooks and they can imagine uh, uh, the result of mixing ingredients that they've not done before. Uh, and I can imagine sort of uh, any notes that I want to uh, put together and I know, I can hear them, even if I have not heard them before. I mean, you know, but uh, it's uh,
0: uh, so it, that's similar. Where you would use instruments, they use ingredients. There's a genuine connection there. I also think because food for a lot of people, most people really, is to do with a number of things, love, community, creativity. It's interesting if you ask people in the food industry what they think about food, the same words are used each time. One thing that comes over very strongly from you is how much you love composing because you love expressing this vein of creativity that you have in you. It's fascinating that where you find passion, great passion, is also in food. The fascinating thing for me has been in encountering people from both professions and talking in particular about this um, almost obsessional passion. Would you say that you are obsessional about composition, I mean?
1: Probably. It's
0: some people talk
1: about uh, liking the, um, the process. And for me, it's always been about the end. I, I, I find that a, a lot of the times when I hear a composer or an artist talking about how we enjoy the process, I think, oh, it's not going to be very good, the result. What is important is what you get at the end. And so sometimes it's enjoyable. And, and, uh, and a lot of the time, if, um, if it takes uh, sort of uh, in, in, in life, in real life, I'm never late because I'm. Uh, and it's the same. I'm, I've never been late for any commission, but I'm never late at the airport. I'm just not late. And the problem in composing is that it's not like practicing. I was a violinist. Practicing, you know, when you are professional, you know how long it's going to take to learn such a thing and such a thing. For composing, it's not like that. For the same piece, in a piece that, let's say, a piece that has only is five minutes long, in case of total sort of, uh, when you, if you are very, very lucky and you've got a, uh, a really easy uh, goal, it could take, let's say, uh, well, that almost never happens, 30 hours. But uh, but it can happen. But otherwise, sort of, so let's say I'm, I'm doing, now I've got this project of 24 etudes for piano solo. And the etudes are between, and I want to compose them uh, like Chopin. I want them, each of them to be incredible. And so I've decided to do it over 10 or 15 years so that each one I'm inspired. Well, the pieces are between two and four minutes, basically. But it's incredibly difficult to do. Actually, it's like short uh, short stories. But when I agree on commissions, I, I don't want to be late. So what I do is I imagine the worst case scenario, and I add thirty percent, and then I'm sure that even if I fall ill, I'll be on time. So, but in this case of peace like that, it could be forty hours, maybe, or thirty hours, forty hours, best case scenario, two hundred hours, worst case scenario. But if you went to a shop and uh, you said, uh, "Well, I want to uh, um, to buy this bread uh, and come back tomorrow. How much is going to be?" and they say, "Well, it could be three pounds or thirty pounds," you are not going to go back to the shop. Uh, it cannot be this type. But in composing, it's like that. It's uh, the difference is so big that you because you can get stuck. You you will always get stuck because if not, they wouldn't be composing; it would be uh, improvising. But it's depending how stuck you are, and what is interesting that it has, it bears no. I mean, now I've. Finishing my Opus 90, and that's from the piece that I call Opus 1. But before the piece that I call Opus 1, I probably wrote 200 words before I put the Opus 1. So it's a lot. It's uh, it's um, 45 45 years of experience. I cannot say that when the piece is finished, there's a difference between the pieces that I struggled and the pieces that I didn't. The result is the same. It's just that sometimes it's been more <laughs> pleasant to compose them. And sometimes I've got this piece that I really love that I wrote. It was one of the first piece I was very proud of myself to write. That, that's uh, my Opus 30, and it's called The Magic Mountain. I see for cello and piano. And when I composed it, I thought, okay, now I can die, because even if I die, I have left something that is great. Uh, it's weird, you know, but, uh, but I felt it like that. But this piece, I got stuck every bar. It felt like every note that was the next note after the note that I wrote was a total mystery. And... When you listen to the piece, it seems flowing, flowing. And on the other hand, I did, uh, I think three years ago or four years ago, or no, maybe four or five years ago, I did a ballet. And it was a huge work. For some reason, I did not have done that much long to, to, to do it. I had uh, six months and I had other commissions, but I really wanted to do a ballet for years. So I said yes. And I, because I knew that I had six months, I did it in four, worked 16 hours a day, nonstop. But it was easy. It was just coming. There are, there are no rules. I
0: suppose it's why you can be so uh, interested by it uh, for all your life, because it's difficult. And when you sit down for the first time, whether it's a commission that you've been given or something that you want to write yourself, do you start by looking at a blank piece of paper and and starting with the first note? Or are you somebody that draws a picture? Or there, there are so many, if you speak to composers, there are so many different methods of, commencing commission or a piece
1: what there's no difference between commission or not commission because I wrote only what I wanted as I said earlier I was really gifted in mathematics I mean when I was 11 or 12 I can't remember uh, I had piano lessons and I got a free piano lesson for about four months because I taught math for the A-levels of my the daughter of my teacher and I could do A-level math age 11 or 12 without just easy for me. So if I wanted to make money, I would have gone into the bank or done other things. So for me, it's never been about, it's not, it's not that I'm an angel, it's just not worth it. Purely selfishness, you give me, I don't know, 100,000 pounds to write a piece that I don't want to do, even if I need the money, it would, wouldn't would be worth it. It's just not worth it for me. So, so the commission that I try to, I, 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 trying to organize my life that I do what I want to do. So I let it be known that I want to do that. And then I try to organize myself. So that there's not much of a difference, but to, to come to the main of your question, it's a mystery for me, but for me, music is completely abstract. It's got nothing to do with colors. It sounds, uh, but it sounds, but you, um, but I can't say that I, um, I can decide before you, you start to, to write something, you have uh, an idea, I'll give you a couple of examples so that it's uh, concrete. Uh, it's, it's, I do often lectures about music, and I find that lectures uh, about music without live music, it's a bit strange, but I'll try to do, to, to do it. Uh, it's, uh, when I, I've been interested in writing concertos recently. In the past, let's say seven, eight years, I have, I've done seven. And before I start a concerto, for me a concerto is a work in multiple movements with a soloist. That's how I would define a concerto. If there's one movement, it's not a concerto. Something else? But it's not a concerto. For me concerto like the Sonata, the point is that several movements. So when I wrote my, uh, my violin concerto, which I think was my third concerto, uh, I can't remember, uh, before I started, I thought I wanted to do something that was new. And so I, I had to look at, uh, at all the concertos that were written that I really loved, big concertos, to see what had been done. And I found that uh, none of the concertos really started with a fast beginning without introduction. That, that that has not been done before. So I thought, okay, that's my goal. I want to have the violin starting straight away, which gives a sort of, uh, of idea. For, that's an example. But after that, I was not sure if there were going to be three or four movements. And I always think that in concertos, uh, it depends on the second movement, where there are going to be four or five movements. And it's, I love, I can't remember, I, I heard once in a in a TV debate with a really well-known writer, but I must have been 10 years old and I can't remember who was the writer. But he said, like a lot of writers say, that um, that characters, they live their, their own lives. and you follow them, they do what they want to do. And sometimes I feel the same about the notes the right way. You are trying to find the right way of the note. So with Death Violin Concerto, when I wrote the second movement, at, at the start I thought there were going to be three movements. But the second movement ended up being quite like a romance, uh, and, and, but it was not a slow movement, it was not fast. And I thought, okay, if I do first movement that is fast, second movement that is not slow, and last movement that is fast, is basically fast, 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 it's boring. So I needed a third movement, a fourth movement, and so my third movement was going to be the one that was slow. And before I started it, I said to my wife, okay, now I know exactly what I want. And in one of these, you know, simple movements, like, like Mozart is magical, doing a few notes like ever. Sort of just beautiful, simple, but I mean, not simple to do, but that it sounds, that you have a smile. And then what I found was the darkest slow movement that I've ever written. It's like the end of the world. But funny enough, it fits the same way because it's slow. But the, the white page, when there's nothing before, it's another problem That's um, I tend to try to avoid the subject. I think that, you know, psychanalysts think that you should talk because it's good to get it out. I think that uh, sometimes it's better to let it be inside and not think about it. So, because if you think about great composers, you think, I don't know, Mozart, than Bach, they didn't write only masterpieces because no one can write only masterpieces. So what's the difference between a masterpiece and another one in these great composers? Well, it's the first beginning. If you are a great composer, on the first 20 seconds of the piece are great, it's going to continue to be that way. But the first 20 seconds are where nothing on earth will help you. There is no metier, there is no, it's just, it's magical and it's uh, coming from out of nowhere. And that's, that's a bit that I don't want to think about, that it's impossible to create just masterpieces. So you know that whatever, if you've been you've been writing three pieces that you are very pleased about, Statistically, at some point there will be a piece that is not as good. It's not because no one has ever done it. So, only way that to do it actually would be to burn the pieces that are not so good. But it's uh, uh, like uh, Ravel. I think wanted to do it, but it didn't quite succeed. Uh, but it's uh, but it doesn't matter. It comes to the same because you still wrote the piece after if you destroyed it or you didn't destroy it. And, and maybe it's not worth destroying because what happens is that in this piece that maybe is not an so amazing piece, like. I, don't think, I think that it's an amazing achievement that probably in terms of sonata it's the biggest achievement of all, the 32 sonatas are better than, but they're not all equally good. There are quite a few of them, I would say more than 10, that are incredible, but they're incredible because each of the movements is incredible and there is nothing that is not incredible. But the other sonatas that I wouldn't put to the same level in that sense, they've got jewels in them, but not the three movements maybe, but would you put them in the, in the bin? No. The white page is a very frightening thing, uh, and you've got to face it, and, uh, and the older you become, the more difficult it is in some way, maybe because, because you are wiser, so you <laughs> know about it. <laughs> I, I think it's, 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 a, it's part of, you know, you send the, the young people in, uh, in the army, in the war, and, uh, because they are not conscious of death, and there's something great in being young and uh, not being frightened of anything, but it's not wisdom. And then you, and as you get older, you have more experience. So you're aware. When I was in my late teens, I went to um, to, to have lesson with uh, a composer. When there, was, there was funny stories about that, but one of the things he told me, I remember it was, I had one week to prepare. Uh, I was writing a piece. He said, okay, next week come back with something. And I worked all week. and uh, And at the end of the week, I came back and I had something like two bars. And he shouted, and he said, what? How dare you? And I said, "But you know, I really, really work, but I couldn't find. I... And he said, you know, what's your problem? You don't know about life. Life is too easy for you. You go and work in a post office in a McDonald's. And I thought, what an idiot. I thought, what, what is he talking about? And I was seven, I don't remember, maybe 18 or something like that. And... I, I thought it didn't make sense, especially because I didn't come from a, a, a background that had a lot of money. My dad was an artist. We lived in a tiny place. We lived until I was 14. We lived in a place that was about 24 square meters. All of us. There was no central heating. There was no heating, actually. So I thought, what is he talking about, working in McDonald's? You know what life can be? Couple, uh, Three or four years after, uh, when I, I moved to England when I was uh, 18, and because uh, my dad is an artist and it was... My parents would always tell me, they gave me a credit card and said use what you need, and things like that. Uh, but I knew that my, it was very hard for my parents, so I didn't want to use. I remember there was a point at which I I, uh, I ate for 50p every day uh, for a few months. And, and then, because my parents told me, my dad said, what is important is whatever you do, you don't work because you work hard so that you can study. So don't lose your time uh, and, and just don't go to work. But when I was about, I think, twenty-one, I decided enough is enough. Uh, I I can't do that to my parents. I'm going to uh, to teach and to do some things on top of my uh, postgraduate. And uh, I'm not going to take money from my parents anymore. And I started working when I was twenty-one, and I never ever again took money from my parents. And it's funny because when I started to work and I I was teaching uh, music uh, to to children how to play. Uh, and as I was only 20, well, 20, and I was not a very well-known person, something like that. I didn't charge that much, so I needed to teach a lot. Plus, I was going to the Academy of New York, I was living a life of a composer, and um, so suddenly I had less time. And I remembered what uh, the man said about the McDonald's. I understood because the, the existential story the idea of what am I creating, great art or something like that. It's not that I'm not there. It's always there, but when I had time to compose it was precious and I enjoyed that I didn't need to do something else and that I've never forgotten. I think that uh, you need discipline and you need a focus and and, and see really that that it could be uh, that at the end of the day even if it's very hard it's what you love to do uh, because it's it's something difficult to create Uh, and it's frustrating because it's... uh, I, I was a trained violinist and and I'm someone that's uh, got a strong willpower and very disciplined. There are certain things that if you decide that you're not going to eat for two days, you can do. It's a bit crazy, but you can do that. If the thing doesn't come when you want to compose, it doesn't come. It's not a matter of willpower. You can wish it as much as you,
0: you want. It's, you've got to try it quite hard, but sometimes it doesn't come. <laughs> what can you do? Of everything that you have written, which is a pretty enormous body of work for somebody of your age, Looking back, is there a piece that you're particularly fond of? No, it's a, uh, I, but it's it, in, in a funny way, it's like if you... I,
1: I, to be honest, I would have the same problem if you ask me, is there a favourite piece of Beethoven? Too many. Well, I, I was having lunch with a pianist, that, uh, a friend pianist, about I think two years ago, and she said something, I was very pleased about it, but, but it struck me. She said, you know you're in um, your golden period, that everything that you write is like... I thought that for the past maybe five years or, and I could sort of pinpoint it actually, I think that from around my Opus 52 to now, it's been a, a golden period. so between sort of uh, the age of uh, 40 and, and now, <laughs> 40 and 50, so this the last 10 years, uh, if you look, 10 years is long, long enough to, to have, a, to look back, I've written seven concertos, written a lot of things and I've uh, I, I felt um, at the height of my powers. So even if there are ups and, uh, and downs, so I would say that it's, it's the pieces that, um, there are many that are just there are just too many, but I'm very pleased about my ballet, that I wrote, the music for ballet, but it's, uh, the music for ballet is a bit like, I wrote it straight away thinking that it could also be played without the ballet. So like Tchaikovsky or Stravinsky, I knew that for me, it had to be good enough as it is. So, so that piece suspended, I'm very pleased about the, the piece that I wrote for piano called "Reminiscence of Childhood." That I'm mainly sort of uh, it's it's difficult. It's at the moment I'm so much into. Um, I'm very pleased that because that's that actually very difficult to do about my etudes, because I, I'm now writing my etude number eleven, and the first ten are each like I wanted them something special. I didn't dare do it for many years, but then I did the first one. On the first one, luckily. Was quite easy to write At the beginning I didn't have the project of doing 24 uh, as far as I remember. After I run three or four and it was going really well, I thought okay I should do 25 Chopin. And at that point it appeared easy. Uh, but it's like that if you're, you're a good runner imagine, I'm not, uh, and uh, you run the marathon and after you run four miles it's a hot piece of cake. But that's just the beginning. Now that I'm number 10, I start to see. ooh!
0: <laughs> it's, after all, it's not going to be that easy. If you had to give one piece of advice to a young composer who's listening with all your wealth of experience, what would you say to them as the most important thing? There are several
1: things, but I think that uh, we live in a time of very much conformity. It's impossible to do something that is original if everybody, everybody else is doing it. Uh, and if you do something that is truly original, you are going to have it very, very tough. But it's not. A, but that's not the main thing. It's just saying that it, that's going to happen because it has always happened and it will always happen. That's what I got. I think that my father was my greatest teacher because he's a great artist, uh, and that's what you need. And I think that it's uh, that for me. He uh, thinks that that's my part of the, the, the deal, but I see it as a as an example of purity and absolute that you. Um, you cannot be bought. It has to be something that you will do. And I really mean it, so that, that if someone gave you one million pounds to write something that you don't really want to do, you don't prostitute yourself. You just don't do it. Uh, and it has to be, uh, and that's uh, in terms of writing something, that, And if, if you are capable of somehow prostituting it yourself, then maybe there's, uh, it's, it's difficult to say, but I don't think that you can be a great composer then. But, it's, uh, but who knows, uh, it's, it's, it's my field. So my field is that you have, um, uh, the reward has to be in what you're creating. You have to do it for yourself. At the end of the day, it's, uh, if you want to, to be generous to other people, but you, you, you create something for yourself. I remember that uh, a few years ago, I had something really weird. I was in the street, uh, maybe 10 years ago, and I was singing something. And I thought, it's really lovely, what is it? And then I realized it was my piece. So the, the thing for the young composer, I would say that you've got to, to compare the pieces that you write to pieces that you admi- admire the most. So if your piece that you write doesn't stand next to, I don't know, better than Appassionata, then there's a problem. For, I don't mean in general, but for yourself, that it doesn't mean that it will happen straight away. Uh, but you that has to be your your goal and this goal is exciting it's uh, it's it's worth striving for it's uh, it's uh, it makes your life
0: magical thank you to nimrod for joining me and talking about cooking strawberry risotto the processes behind composing staying true to yourself as an artist remaining resolutely nonconformist, and finding the magic in all that you do Please support Notes from Musicians' Kitchens by subscribing to our website, www.notesfrommusicianskitchens.com. It's only a tenner, and every penny is going to help Musicians UK, a great cause. Make sure to tune in to the next episode, where I'll be talking to another music professional about what food means to them. Keep an eye on Instagram to discover their identity. Thank you for listening, stay safe, and remember... Food is love.